Listener Production. Hello, it's Jan Fran here. And if you are relatively new to the briefing, thank you so much for listening. We love having you. And whether you're listening via Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any podcast app, really, hit that subscribe button for us. And if you're enjoying the briefing, tell your friends, tell your family, tell everybody you know to get onto the podcast and hit subscribe as well. We love growing the show. You get the briefing in your feed every morning from 6am for the latest news and a deep dive interview as well. Well, let's get into it. On Sunday night, a horror bus crash in the New South Wales Hunter Valley took the lives of 10 people and more than 25 were transported to hospital. The community, as you can imagine, is in complete shock uh, because the coach was taking guests home from a wedding. The driver has been charged with 10 counts of dangerous driving occasioning death, driving in a dangerous manner and negligent driving occasioning death. Stunned, shocked, disbelief, numb. It's um, really an horrific thing that happened and so many people's lives have touched. Uh, people are, are some of the poor victims are, are well known. It's just a very, very extremely sad time for the people of Singleton. That was local resident Jared McMillan there. You're going to hear from Jared a little later in the show. We'll be chatting with him and also listener New South Wales news editor David Dolan, who was in court, is going to explain the impact of this terrible tragedy. It is Wednesday, the 14th of June. I'm Jan Fran, joined by Antoinette Latouf for the headlines. G'day, Jan. Well, we're kicking off with a pretty historic case in Miami involving Donald Trump, but in news that'll probably surprise nobody. He's pled not guilty this morning over the alleged mishandling of classified documents. So the former US president is accused of taking the documents to his Florida resort after leaving office in 2021 and then resisting government attempts to retrieve them. And Trump's former aide, uh, he's also charged in the case, um, also appearing in court. So the hearing is underway as we record this, but it's likely to set out the timetable for the actual trial. Yeah, that's right. Um, Trump left his hotel room, well, just a few hours ago, really, as, as, as we record this. He was surrounded by lawyers and he travelled to the courthouse in, in a motorcade. So there were a, a number of cars all sort of flashing blue and red as they were uh, heading down a, a freeway. There was around 1,000, maybe 1,500, depending on which report you, you hear of supporters who had gathered outside the courthouse as well. And as you said, it is a historic event for a number of reasons, but it's also because it's the first time that a former US president has been charged with federal crimes. It's the second criminal case that he's facing, though, isn't it? Yeah, but it is indeed. We know this former president is a little bit extra. So he is also accused of falsifying business records. And that relates to hush money payments made during the 2016 campaign uh, in New York State. Well, to Australian politics now and Cabinet Minister Katie Gallagher has denied that she misled Parliament in 2021 when she said that no one in her party had knowledge of Brittany Higgins's allegation of rape inside Parliament House. I did not mislead the Senate. That was Katie Gallagher there. She refused to detail the nature of the conversations that she had with Brittany Higgins's partner. This was prior to the formal Liberal staffer going public 
with her rape allegations. We know she did have an exchange, though, because there were leaked text messages Mm. between Brittany Higgins and her partner, David Shiraz, that showed that Katie Gallagher knew of the allegation before the interview aired. She did say in Parliament, Gallagher, this is, that um, she received the information, it was confidential, and she did nothing with it, basically. Oh, Jan, this just... This story, it just gets worse and worse. And I don't know why that is, perhaps because, I mean, now there are leaked text messages, who leaked it, but it's just become such a political football. It's being tossed and kicked in every direction. And he said, she knew, he knew, she knew, they knew. No, they didn't know. Mm. Oh, actually they did. There's all this finger pointing. It's being tossed around like a hot potato. And it's, it's almost gotten to the point where it's easy to forget that behind all of this is a young woman who alleges that she was raped in the most powerful and influential building in Australia. I I, I just, I I think it's almost easy to forget that. Mm. I think um, the Green Senator, Sarah Hanson-Young, described it as disgusting that it had become such a political football. And I think she's absolutely right. And, And, you know, political football it has become because Scott Morrison was also accused of misleading Parliament in 2021 by an ex staffer. Well, Mm. he said in 2021 that they'd spoken about um, Brittany Higgins. She says that that conversation never happened. So it really is, uh, I think, think, you know, a lot of people have a lot of things to answer for, to be honest. And the massive financial services firm, JP Morgan Chase, has announced a tentative $430 million, this is Australian dollars, settlement with the victims of Jeffrey Epstein. So the victims had accused the bank of enabling Epstein to essentially continue his sex trafficking operation. Um, He was arrested in 2019 on federal charges, accusing him of paying underage girls for massages and then molesting them at his homes in Florida and in New York. Epstein was found dead in jail the same year and uh, his death was ruled a suicide. Yeah, Jan, this is a huge settlement, but it does still need to be approved by a judge. And uh, this proposed deal, it could begin to shut down what would otherwise be weeks of embarrassing leaks about the extensive relationship the bank actually had with Epstein and uh, the convicted sex offender. He was a client there from 1998 to 2013. And that was actually seven years after he was first accused of soliciting a minor. It's also Mm. not the first agreement to be reached with a bank. Um, There was a similar lawsuit against Deutsche Bank, and that was resolved for a reported $75 million. And Paul McCartney says a final Beatles record will be released this year thanks to AI. So McCartney said the record was a demo he and Lennon had worked on. And although McCartney didn't say which track in specific it was, it's likely to be a 1978 Lennon composition called Now and Then. So Jan, like AI's been in the headlines a lot for being a bit of a a out-of-control demon that we should be aware of, but, you know, maybe it's not too bad when it comes to posthumous music. (laughs) Maybe it can be a force for nice music in this world. Yeah, I mean, this was, um, so apparently (laughs) this track was one of several tracks that was given to Paul McCartney on a cassette by John Lennon's widow, Yoko Ono. Well, she wasn't a widow at the time. It was given to him a year before John Lennon's death. He'd previously talked about wanting to finish the song, 
but he sort of couldn't because uh, it, they just couldn't separate John Lennon's voice and the piano and there was like a lot of background noise on this particular track. So they sort of just left it. And now with AI, the, you know, <laughs> emerging technology that we keep hearing so much about, um, they were sort of able to separate John Lennon's voice and also kind of a, a, a piano as well and put the song together mm. that way. So, I mean, who knows? Any, any other dead musicians that, that we want to hear from? Stay tuned. <laughs> All right, that's it from Antoinette and I. Tom Tilly is up next talking about the horror bus crash in New South Wales and what some of the implications are for the community. In this episode of The Briefing, we speak to locals in the Hunter Valley to find out how the community's coping after Sunday's bus crash. People hire a bus for weddings in order to keep their guests safe and that just adds to the unimaginable nature of this tragedy. It was identified that a, a coach had overturned on that roundabout. There are 10 people confirmed deceased and a further 25 people have been transported to hospital. Whatever the final toll is in this terrible accident, it will be more than we can bear. This crash has rocked the Hunter Valley and the whole country really because this is just such a relatable tragedy. Most of you listening will have caught a bus home from a wedding in the country it's supposed to be the safe option. Now, the driver has been granted bail this afternoon. We'll explain what happened in the Cessnock courtroom in just a moment. First, we'll go to a Singleton local with lots of friends at the wedding and on the bus. Jared McMillan is also the acting head of the local Rotary Club. Jared, how are people there feeling right now? Are they stunned, shocked, um, disbelief, numb? It's um, really a horrific thing that happened and uh, so many people's lives have touched. Uh, people, are, uh, some of the poor victims are, are well known. It's just a very, very extremely sad time for the people of Singleton and not only Singleton, uh, those people who attended the wedding from interstate as well. Uh, our hearts go and prayers go out to those people as well who have lost loved ones and our our thoughts and prayers go out to those still in hospital. We don't know how bad the injuries are and, and very appreciative of the first responders and what they must have uh, witnessed, gone through in, in their line of duty. And I've heard the Premier speak uh, and, the, and the Prime Minister speak and enough can't be said about our first responders, the police, fireys, ambos, all those involved uh, at this horrific time. Mm. So you've spoken to Alex Tagani, who was the MC at the wedding and who was on the bus. Can you relay the scenes that he described to you? Well, he was still in hospital when I spoke to Alex and I was more concerned about his welfare and I didn't go into what it was like at the bus, um, what, what he, you know, climbing um, out of the bus and seeing uh, friends, close friends. He's going through a quite an ordeal, as you can imagine, anyone would. And so I, I was mainly concerned. I was pleased to hear his voice and know that he was being discharged from hospital and he does, um, does want privacy, and I respect all that. He's a member of our Rotary Club, the Rotary Club of Singleton Sunrise. He, he's an excellent uh, sports commentator. He's well-loved. 
not only in Singleton, but throughout the valley. He, he writes uh, for the Hunter River Times and, uh, and everywhere he goes, people just radiate to him. He knows so much. Being a Victorian, coming up to a rugby league, rugby union stronghold, he's really immersed himself in the sports and what he does. Um, he's a very active Rotarian and an a all-round good guy. And uh, the amount of phone calls he, he has received when he was in hospital We'll be there to support Alex and, and the community will support all those who are involved. That's one thing about Singleton. The community is very, very strong and uh, their sense of community. And when people are down, people just rally around them, give them, you know, whatever support we can try and give. And uh, and, and our hearts mm. and prayers go out to, to all those who are affected by this uh, horrific accident. So you know a number of the people involved what can you tell us about the people, some of the most vulnerable people who've who've lost family members and close friends in this in this tragedy? The people that need the most care. Well, one of the one of the worst things is the is the two orphan children, and part of our fundraising will not only help the the victims for medical expenses, but also for the ongoing welfare of those uh, two young children. And uh, it's, it's just it's just really hit the town. Really, 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 really sad, really sad time. And there's journalists left, right and centre, and this is about the fifth interview that I've had. But just, you know, there's just journalists everywhere. What's that like to have all that media attention when something so so tragic has just happened and you're, you're still reeling from it? Well, I think people need, need space. People don't want to be interviewed. I can understand that. They're just all hurting. And I realise the media have to do their job, but also uh, people need need that quiet time to reflect. And with our Rotary Club, we're trying to do what we can at the moment to uh, to put the word out there to get uh, Danish support. And I know that we'll have support through Rotary worldwide. Uh, sorry, Australia-wide will help us with this. And I've already had uh, messages from other Rotary Clubs who, who are going to contribute to the fund to support the victims. And uh, we're hoping that uh, more people come on involved because you don't really know until it happens to yourself. And uh, we hear about accidents in other places and it doesn't really hit home until you know people are involved. And uh, it can, in a split-second decision, uh, it can make a, a big difference. And my heart goes out to the family of the, the bus driver as well. Uh, they they must be suffering and hurting as well. So there's just going to be so many people who are scarred by this uh, senseless accident. That was Jared McMillan in Singleton. And when we get the details of those fundraising campaigns, uh, we'll put them in the show notes of this episode so you can click through and donate if you want to. Now we'll go to the courthouse in Cessnock where the driver, Brett Button, has been released on bail after spending a night in a cell. He's charged with 10 counts of dangerous driving relating to each of the victims and one count of negligent driving. And David Dolan was there at the courthouse for the bail hearing. He's the state news editor for Listener and Southern Cross Austereo. David, thanks for speaking to us. What was it like being there at the courthouse in the middle of such a devastating tragedy? Well, I guess it was um, it was a fairly procedural court hearing, Tom. You know, Cessnock Courthouse, it, it's really small and it was crammed with reporters and about eight or so members of Brett Button's family. So there weren't victim families weren't there. That will happen obviously during the trial, but it was, yeah, it was a small courtroom, standing room only. 
It didn't last too long, within half an hour. But I think, yeah, it'll be during the trial where I, I think it'll suddenly be, become more emotional. Okay, so he got bail. What was said in this hearing? I guess it started off with the prosecutor arguing against granting him parole. So they claimed that he was a flight risk. They were also concerned about Mr Button potentially influencing witness accounts. The magistrate, Robin Richardson, however, said those risks weren't unacceptable and she showed some sympathy in granting him parole. She raised concerns about his mental health and well-being. She noted that he was sitting with his head bowed during the court hearing, saying, and I quote, it's clear to this court that he suffers along with the rest of the community. She also noted that he had no prior criminal record. He did have seven driving offences in about 30 years, but no, no criminal record. He cried as he was told he was getting bail, but he didn't say anything else. But yeah, as I said, he just sat there with his head down, shoulders slumped, wearing a black hoodie and, and glasses. What evidence did the magistrate have to draw that conclusion about how he was feeling? I guess it was based on how he was he was looking. Obviously, she, she thought there was some level of remorse. It was discussed that he has medical conditions, including a mental health um, condition, although there was no elaboration on, on that. It was noted that he uh, has strong community ties. And I think, as I said before, you know, there is no criminal record. So the concerns about being a flight risk just, yeah, just, just weren't, weren't there. So how did Brett Button sort of carry himself in the court? How did he behave? How did he look? How did he react to what was going on? Well, he just sat with his head down, shoulders slumped. He cried, as I mentioned, he cried when he was told he was getting bail, but he didn't say a word. His family was sitting behind him and he didn't acknowledge them. They didn't, didn't uh, talk to him either. I was sitting near one of his daughters and she was visibly upset when the judge told the court that he was getting bail, but clearly very relieved that her father was coming home after a night in the Cessnock police station cells. And so what about when he, he left the courtroom and it was all over? What happened outside? So I guess, well, firstly, his family left and there was quite a large media scrum following them out into, into their car. They took off. So one of the bail conditions, he had to surrender his passport. So his family had to go home, get the passport, bring it back. So there was quite a delay in him actually being released from the courthouse. When that finally did happen, he walked out, again, head bowed, didn't say anything to the massive media throng, hopped in the waiting car and took off home. Mm. And what have you gauged from being there about the, the devastation cause? I mean, you look at the, the pictures of the 10 people who've lost their lives and they all look just young, bright, happy, beautiful Australians. It's just so sad. Have you picked up on some of that being there? I think just being in, in the Hunter in general, I'm, I'm based here in Newcastle and it's all every, anyone's talking about. Everyone's just talking about this horrible tragedy and any connection we might have to the victims or even just knowing that a lot of people here, we, we all go to weddings in the Hunter Valley. It's, it's, it's mm. a very common wedding venue and we've all been in, in this situation and, and a lot of the times we've all caught a bus home because it's the safe way to get home. Even my work Christmas party, we, we that was at a, at a winery near Wandon Estate. And again, we all caught a bus back to Newcastle. So I guess for a lot of us, we, we, we keep thinking, well, that could have been us. 
Mm. So yeah, it's definitely hit home. There's there's a real dark cloud across the entire Hunter Valley. Yeah. So as well as knowing that experience very well, it's you know most Australians would going home on a bus from a wedding. You guys in the in the Hunter region also know the roads pretty well, including that roundabout. So what can you tell us about that particular roundabout? It's a massive roundabout near the overpass on the Hunter Expressway. So it's a when you go to the Hunter Valley to the wineries you go through this roundabout to get to the wineries. It's a relatively new piece of road. Mm. So, David, we were just talking to Jared. He's from the Rotary Club and they're working on fundraising for some of the, the people who've lost their family members in this crash. How do you see the family dealing with this from here? I believe there'll be you know, vigils will be held. Obviously, the, the Singleton Roosters Football Club, which had... A lot of members at at this wedding. Um, the community will, will get around that footy club. The uh, the local AFL competition will, will do something with that club. I guess yeah, time will will eventually heal. But you know, I think in, in the case of of the driver, you know, we, we'll, we have to wait for that to go through the courts. There'll be a, a, a trial. We heard in, in in the court yesterday that that trial is probably not going to take place until twenty twenty four. So that will continue. There are still a lot of people in hospital. At last count, about 14 people in hospital. They'll eventually be released. They'll, they'll somehow have to get back to, to life as, 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 as they know it, some with some horrible injuries. Mm. We really feel for the, the couple that was getting married at, at their wedding that, that this is now their wedding anniversary, that mm. every 12 months they'll remember what should have been a, a wonderful special occasion and it's, it's turned into a, an absolute tragedy. David, you mentioned some of the injuries that people are dealing with in hospital now are absolutely horrific. Are there any question marks about any of those people surviving or or are they all moving into a stable condition? Well, the two most seriously injured survivors are in intensive care. There are two who are listed as critical but stable. They're in the John Hunter Hospital in in Newcastle, uh, still in intensive care. I guess critical but stable, that's, yeah, obviously still quite serious, but at least they are are stable. So time will tell what happens with their recovery and their condition. As for the remaining survivors, uh, the, you know, the patients from, from this tragedy, their injuries you know, range from you know, serious lacerations to amputations. So they're, they're facing a, a, long, a long recovery in hospital. That's Dave Dolan, news editor at Listener, reporting from the Hunter Valley.